best of friends with your partner but unable to speak about sex sexual suppression that causes physiological symptoms uncomfortable with body image sex and sleep have an intersection that runs deep while this episode does not have specific sleep protocols sex plays a critical role in the ability to sleep and in the quality of sleep You will be thinking Deepa what can you tell me about sex yes that's probably true but stay with me as i bring on my dear friend Robin Spenson to have a compassionate and insightful conversation the problem is that the sexual energy is so powerful that all modalities of healing from ayurveda to science speak into how suppression can prevent all healing Let's come to that in a bit. This is not a sex masterclass, but it is a conversation on vulnerability within the parameters of sex. In today's episode, we will answer three questions. The first is can releasing sexual inhibition help restore better sleep? Two, how can we be comfortable with body image and get intimate with our partner? Three can we improve all health by being honest and intentional with pleasure? I pose these questions to Robin who works with men and women on intentional pleasure. She is a clinical hypnotherapist who targets her work on helping people feel pleasure. She shows up as a skilled counselor in sexual wellness to her clients. She coaches clients on everything from lack of desire to avoidance of intimacy to desire mismatch in relationship. Let's get started. Hey everyone, I'm Deepa, Light Functional Medicine practitioner, author and yogini and you're listening to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. the only sleep podcast with conversations and meditations i'm on a mission to share profoundly insightful sleep conversations with global visionaries that merge together functional medicine and ancient wisdom breathe in bliss through weekly guided meditations and let yourself enter the land of dreams together Let's unravel the pieces, get to the roots and understand the right tools to transform your sleep completely. Through this podcast, I want you to dream the best version of yourself. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey. Robin, we always have great conversations and this is your second time back on the show and I think this is a topic that I've really wrestled with because while I do have a lot of indication in my mind about the intersection between sex and sleep, I'm not sure that I quite know how to navigate those areas to explain that to people and I know that you focused your work on intimacy Uh, and you've been on the show before where we've spoken about alcohol and sleep so people can go back to that if they'd like to listen to your own story um, and just yesterday i was listening to this episode 
with um, an Ayurvedic expert and she was telling us about how we need to keep everything out of the bedroom and this relates to food, the television, our phone, social media and she said the bed is for love making and for sleep and I just love that because I think if ancient wisdom is telling us about this connection, it's a profound connection for sure and Pleasure does play a pivotal role in great sleep. And there's so much research pointing towards lowered inflammation with orgasm. So I would like us to go into several aspects of these. Do you feel that this connection is integral to all health, just as a starting point? Oh, yes, that's a that's a great, great insight, um, Deepa. Thank you. It's lovely to be back and speaking to you. Um, I, I do. I do. I think um, having a pleasurable sex life is certainly um, important for all aspects of our life. I think um, when that sensuality and that abundance of pleasure is flowing, and you're in kind of a flow state and you're able to tap into your sexuality, I think that flow state, just that energy um, flows through the rest of your life. And so perhaps many of your listeners may have had a wonderful pleasurous morning, um, a sexual encounter, and notice how they go about their day. Perhaps they are kinder, perhaps they are more relaxed. Um, perhaps they are um, less aggressive at work. And so I do think that um, pleasure goes hand in hand with how we behave throughout the day. Absolutely. And I think we sleep better for absolutely, that's for sure. And I agree with your opening statements around the bedroom is that beautiful space that should be reserved for sleep and sex. Lovely, Robin. And I know that when it comes to sex, I know that I just did a conversation with somebody and even the ancient scriptures, I'm given to believe that they talk about um, sex as a very pivotal pillar in all health. And there is a balanced area between pleasure and in Ayurveda about not um, depleting vitality, through excess of sex, but we're not going to discuss that. What we will discuss since there is one area that's very much a um, overlapping area between ancient wisdom and all modern research today is that not giving consent to pleasure, not allowing ourselves to feel pleasure does have detrimental aspects on various areas of health. And as you so beautifully described just before this, that maybe after a morning of sex, we are less angry, we are more relaxed. Um, and I don't want us to go too much into the physiology of what actually happens with endorphins or uh, that's not what this is. This conversation is for. What I would like us to talk about is that you make this remark about consent for pleasure, and I'd like us to jump into that. As do we give ourselves consent for pleasure? This is definitely a very tricky area uh, when we look at different age, different sex. 
you know, gender, um, the age that we are really makes a big difference to this, the relationships that we are in, so much plays into this. So what is consent for pleasure? And what does pleasure look like? So I think consent, let's start with consent. Um, consent is an agreement between two parties to engage in sexual activity. And, and you know, that's kind of the textbook um, definition. But within all that, um, consent doesn't always, consent doesn't all, is not always verbal, but in this day and age, it is becoming that way because of so many gray lines. And so consent means that each individual party gives consent to be in this pleasurable relationship. But at any point, that consent can be taken away. And so you at any point can say, no, I don't agree to this act or no, I don't wanna participate any longer. And even within a marriage, there is consent. And so consent is about communicating. It's about communicating what is agreeable to you and what's not. What you'd like to participate in and what you would not like to participate in. And consent should, in a sex positive relationship, should be very clearly defined. And so that's why communication becomes really important. Um, this old ideal of no means yes, or this old ideal of a woman dressed a certain way, so therefore, in that sense, she was consenting. This is no longer appropriate, or, or dare I say legal. Um, every party at any stage has the right to say that I don't wanna participate in this particular act, or that I do. So when there is that agreement, and a sex positive relationship, it opens up this beautiful dynamic that everybody is on the same page with what, what they're participating in. And at any stage, one can say, no, I don't really like this particular action that we're engaging in. And I wanna step back from that. And do you feel, Robin, that somewhere don't you notice that, and I see a lot of correlation in terms of all health, where uh, someone who's maybe one partner in the relationship has lost interest for pleasure, and then they've uh, had a kind of, a, they've inhibited themselves in some way. And then over time, it does impact certain physiological areas. For example, sometimes you see men who have uh, prostate issues, women who have urinary tract infections. And there's a lot about this link spoken about both in modern research and Ayurveda where uh, when you prevent pleasure, it uh, leads to certain blockages in the area. And so talk to us a little bit about how couples tend to move gradually without themselves realizing um, from a space where they were super excited to be in intimate relations with one another, and then suddenly find themselves a decade later where they don't remember when they last had sex. How does that happen? 
Um, and what can we do about preventing that? Yeah, that's a great question that comes up a lot. And, you know, when we think about, um, you know, when people first meet and there is that attraction and there's that chemistry and that flow and they come together and they have beautiful, wonderful sex. And at some point, I've had some clients say, well, I'm bored or that um, I'm no longer turned on by this person. And I ask the question or I make the statement that how we how we must tap into pleasure is when we recognize that we have to tap into our own sexual pleasure. And it's not that other people turn us on. It's like we need to turn ourselves on. And when we aren't sort of nurturing our own pleasure um, and we don't recognize our own pleasure, then part of that blockage is that in our minds and in our bodies, we've kind of turned ourselves off and we need to turn ourselves back on. And what I mean by that is just recognizing what gives you pleasure because throughout your um, life, at different stages in your life, different things give you pleasure. And so reconnecting with your body and reconnecting to the things that turn you on as you age is really important. How do we do that? We do that through self-pleasuring, um, understanding, touching our own bodies, understanding what feels good to us, what doesn't, and then we're able to communicate. We do that through maybe a couple coming together and just finding intimacy in other ways and laughter in you know, having a conversation and having a beautiful dinner or a bath together um, and just sitting and talking and, and just gently caressing each other or giving each other a massage. There are different ways to tap into, you know, what is the, what do I feel turned on by now? And I think this goes a long way in reigniting now, yes, there is a time when, you know, as you grow um, together and you get to know, you know, you know, how each other approach sex, that you need to shape things up and do some different things, do some different positions and, you know, do things differently, you know, um, and in different places in your home, you know, get creative. You have to do the work. And if we're sort of waiting for this turn on to sort of appear, that's not how it works. We have to be the architects of our own turn on. And also in, on this note, Robin, body image plays a big role in this as well, because often I see women who probably have become so shy about, uh, as you said, intimacy, having a bath, just touching your partner, it doesn't have to be sex, but somewhere they've felt that they've gained maybe 10 pounds over the last few years. They don't want to uh, show their bodies to their partner anymore. And this is something that I hear a lot that I just started to feel uncomfortable with myself. Uh, I would like you to give some insights on obviously you cannot turn off a switch tomorrow and reduce 10 pounds uh, but within the body image that you do have how can you still 
get comfortable enough with yourself in a way where you're opening up yourself to your partner for sex? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. And to all your listeners out there who don't feel that their body is beautiful, the question I ask is why not? It's the same you inside the body. And when you felt your body was beautiful, what's different? The 10 pounds don't make you any different. You know, I encourage my clients to look, look at their bodies in the mirror. Look at what they've been through in life and lovingly, lovingly look at the parts of their body that they think is no longer attractive. I would encourage them to show that part of their body to their partner or to their husband and to get comfortable with them touching that part of their body because they are still the same. You are still the same person. You are still that same person and your body is you. And when we can love ourselves and when we can love our bodies, then we can allow others to love and touch those parts of our body. So this is about self-love as well. Yeah, and again, I go back to being able, to, can you touch that part of your body that you don't want others to touch? Can you love that part of your body? Can you draw pleasure from yourself? And when we can do that, then it's easier to be vulnerable enough to allow someone else to derive pleasure from us. Because pleasure starts within us, doesn't start because we come together when, with someone else. Because there's that old question of, you know, I had the best sex with this person. And so it means when that person goes, they take the best sex with them. No, it's within you. That pleasure is within you. And when you're able to unleash it, you can have the best sex at any time in that same body. And I think, Robin, somewhere I've heard friends who are not in relationships talk about how they have no problem with libido or pleasure because they're having different partners. And that's really what we're talking about, that um, there seems to be some perceived notion that you get bored internally. Uh, and most of the friends that I have who are not in relationships seem to be having great sex and have great pleasure. So obviously there's some missing link in our relationship. I would like you to actually help us walk through how maybe a couple who's fallen away from touching each other. They've got great relationships outside of that. They're friends, they're the best of friends. They're able to communicate on everything except to talk about sex. Uh, and they're not able to open their bodies up. Like, as you said, for me, something like just having a bath together is a great form of intimacy. 
so walk us through how if we've fallen away and this can also happen with age for women when estrogen is dropping drying up the vagina or for men when testosterone is going down so there's a physiological aspect as well. Of course, those are practical things that there's always ways to work through. Um, but walk us through how do we get over inhibition with our partner? How do we communicate our sexuality? How do we just start touching ourselves and touching our partner? Well, for me, that um, having that sensual relationship with yourself is the key. And often people feel disconnected from their sexuality and their body and their partner. And so I think reestablishing, um, tapping into your sexuality is important to tap into that self-pleasuring before you even try to engage with another person. And then when you're feeling sensually aroused, it's like waking your body up from a coma. You know, if you haven't been touched or touching your partner or touched for a long time, the body is sort of in a coma, it's asleep. And so that self-pleasuring, just touching yourself and seeing if where you're aroused brings your body to life. And as you become aroused, then you can seek to kind of engage with your partner in coming together. Now, this may look like you two are having conversations and deliberately not touching each other and, you know, giving massages, but deliberately not going into um, intercourse, almost building up that pleasure within each other. Um, and some for a period of time, then you almost can't keep your hands off each other because that building of pleasure, it just keeps building and building and building. So spending time together, maybe, you know, touching your partner intimately on his neck and having this, this sort of um, agreement that you will just touch, but you won't engage in intercourse. And watch how that, that, that libido, watch how that arousal just rises. And this can be incredibly um, um, intimate and it builds arousal. And then another thing is we talked about having maybe a bath or a shower together, um, you know, eating foods which turn you on, um, you know, feeding each other, you know, playing games around um, how do we build arousal asking each other what it is that the, you actually like, having a frank discussion about what turns you on. When I do this, I always think about it as if, you know, for some people, they don't know how to talk about sex with each other. So it's like, let's talk about it from the perspective of driving a car. When you touch me here, this makes the car go, or this turns the petrol up. This And when you do that, now this brings me to a stop. And so having frank conversations around what turns you on, I think that's incredibly important because when we expect to be aroused and maybe your partner doesn't know what to do, 
how can he turn you on if you haven't told him? So really talking about and understanding what is the source of your pleasure, I think is important. Now, I think for people experiencing lack of libido, I think it's really working after you've made sure that perhaps there aren't any medical concerns, is that it's really reconnecting with your body and taking the anxiety out of the whole um, engagement. So what I mean by that is not making the object of the whole um, sexual um, engagement around intercourse, just being able to be with each other without the end game being intercourse. And I think doing sensual things, understanding how to tap into each other's sensuality without the end game being intercourse takes a lot of pressure um, and anxiety out of the situation. Just being able to connect in a very small way and building on that, building on different stages of intimacy without the end game being intercourse, I think creates an environment of less stress. And I want to add, Robin, that I think actually showering together is a great way to get started with being more intimate if you've fallen out of it because you're know, just taking some time, soaping, and without you realizing you've reconnected in several ways. I do want to talk a little bit about the difference between men and women because this is what I commonly see where uh, women usually put down low libido on my forms and men usually say sexual anxiety or haven't had sex. And I think this uh, gender differentiation, maybe it's age for age or something shifts, but I think it is a huge part of why pleasure drops away from people's lives where women might probably lose a bit of interest at some point and I don't know why that happened I would like us to go a little bit into that because it doesn't mean if we are older women that we can't have pleasure that's a common uh, misconception and therefore obviously by default at times the partner if he's a man uh, has just ended up in a space where he's not having sex and therefore he's not having pleasure and then somewhere the bridge starts to form. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about this differentiation, what, are, what can men do, what can women do? Well, I think women, when we talk about boredom or not being able to achieve pleasure at a certain age, um, I, I have clients who are having fantastic orgasms at 70. And I think part of that is that they understand their bodies, they understand what gives them pleasure and they do a lot of self-pleasuring and they also um, have found creative ways to have beautiful sex with their partner. Um, I think as people age, um, they have to be a lot more creative and intentional and I think that's absolutely possible to do. Um, I think self-pleasuring for women, this idea that pleasure is available to you at any age um, has to be one that's 
kind of uh, I'd like to have a, a huge bullhorn and go out and, and 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 tell people that especially women that sexual pleasure is available to you at any age but you you've got to be invested in it and I think the more that you are in touch with your body and self-pleasuring and understanding what your needs are I think the 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 more pleasure you are able to tap into and that's absolutely something that's available to all women I think the disconnect comes when there is this kind of societal norm that women shouldn't partake of their own pleasure that it has to be given to them through someone else and as long as we think pleasure comes from outside of us rather than from within us um i think that thought shuts us down um where we're thinking after a certain age it is not available to us and so then we can't communicate what we want because we think we shouldn't be having sex at this age or feeling pleasure at this age. So then we don't communicate that, yes, you know, I still want pleasure. I still am capable of pleasure. So I think that, you know, that it's, it's, it's that getting it out there that women, pleasure is available to you at any age. Um, and you, you are the architect of your own pleasure. You just have to be willing to tap into it. And there are a lot of um, different people out there who are working with women, um, helping them to tap into that pleasure and helping them to really um, have better, longer orgasms for as long as they want. Now, coming around to men, there are a lot of men who hold have on, Robin. Talk. So I want to know about this. So let's go into <laughs> how can women have longer orgasms? Well, you know, women. Maybe is, take us lot. through a client of yours who shifted and worked with you and had greater pleasure, and walk us through, uh, of course, without mentioning names, and just take us through how she got to a space where she was having greater pleasure. Yeah, a, a woman. Just, just to be clear, a man can have a orgasm and then he has to rest and go through the process again. A woman's clitoris is capable of having multiple orgasms. You have all of these nerve endings in your clitoris, which are there simply for your pleasure. And I think when there is clitoral stimulation, a woman can have a clitoral orgasm, a G-spot orgasm, and um, what I would call um, a deep, deep uh, uh, vaginal orgasm. So there are many types of orgasms that a woman can have and a woman can have many orgasms. And so I think what happens is we're just not educated around, you know, what the clitoris is for and what it can do. Now, yes, I had a client that I've been working with um, and I'm still working with her, who came to me because she hadn't had sex in a very, very long time and just felt, she said, I'm dead from the waist down. And I thought, well, no, you're not. I think you just have been in a coma for a while. And so we started working and we began with her just touching her body every day just being aware 
of what gave her pleasure. So every day her homework was to just touch herself, not intimately, to just touch herself and start waking up her body and doing deep breathing. We've progressed from that to then self-pleasuring. And she, every day she had to wake up and self-pleasure along with getting good sleep and walking and exercise. And she says, you know, I feel alive. And then we progress to her really going after providing orgasms for herself through self-pleasuring. And she couldn't believe how good she was feeling. Now she's dating and she's having the sex of her life. <laughs> But again, it was about waking her up. This is a woman who hadn't had sex in a very, very long time. And when she said, I'm dead from the waist down, you know, I laughed, but I thought she was joking. And I realized that she was quite serious. And I thought, you know, here's a woman who's intelligent, runs her own business, but thinks that her sex life because she has grown up children and she's divorced, her life is pretty over from a sexual perspective. And I love that now she is one of my best students for want of a better word, and she's having the time of her life. And I think it's just a beautiful story. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about men. I don't want our male listeners to feel left out. And I know that is a big space. As I said, I'll see a lot of men who've um, probably gone into forced exile for a better phase because their partner has lost interest and fallen away. And some of them are not uh, in a space where they're seeking pleasure for themselves or seeking pleasure elsewhere. So therefore, they reach the space where it's almost as if they're just clogging up that energy. And sexual energy is very potent. And that's what every everywhere you read about, that's what it is. So let's talk about how can we help our male listeners. Yeah, and I think that's an important point around sexual energy. I think that's our, our, our sexual energy is part of our life force. And I think that really needs to flow and it needs to flow like a river. And when that's blocked, and um, I think it has the potential to have an impact in other areas of our life, stress and, and sleep and all of those areas we talked about. So I think the importance and the beauty of that, the, the flow of sexual energy in both sexes. It is, especially for women, a life force. So for men, I think if a man is feeling that anxiety around not being able to express himself sexually, I think some frank conversation needs to happen as to why if he's in a relationship, um, he's not connecting with his partner. And I think that conversation needs to be around, I need to have sex in order to, you know, I, I love sex, I want to have sex, and I want to have sex with you. Um, and then, of course, there is self-pleasuring that men can do as well. And I think most men, um, you know, are au fait with that and have been doing that 
But I think that's important. And I think it's also for a man understanding what turns him on, you know, understanding what he wants, uh, how he wants to be given pleasure. I think that's really important too. I think it's, it's good for both sexes to connect with what turns them on. Because sometimes when couples come together and they don't talk about what they like and what they don't like and what turns them on and what doesn't turn them on, I think there is that disconnect of, I thought you liked this, or I thought this was what made you have an orgasm. And when I did this, it didn't happen. And so when there's no discussion, there's kind of this disappointment on both sides. So I think it's really important to have a conversation around what feels good and what doesn't. And then therefore, when you come together, you're able to really give pleasure and receive pleasure in a way that's mutually agreeable. I think, Robin, I want to share something here that we did talk about consent even in a marriage earlier on in the conversation. And I think also men and women need to know that if their partner is not in the mood at this moment, it doesn't mean they're rejecting them. It means they are not in the mood at that particular moment. Sometimes I think it becomes as if they've been rejected and then that spirals into feeling like they're not desired and then they feel cautious to approach again. And I think that's where it gets deeper and deeper. Uh, so I think that's that's important to understand as well. But um, given that sex is so integral to great sleep, we've all heard about men especially, they have sex and they literally just knock off. And uh, I'm assuming that it does have a lot to do with supporting women in terms of reduction in stress, lowering of cortisol, therefore hormones work better, therefore your libido is going to get better. It's a cycle really, so you start somewhere. Um, but you did mention something very interesting earlier, and I don't want to let you go without just taking a peek into that, which are the different kind of orgasms in women. Um, I would like us to speak a little bit about that. Okay, and the different types of orgasm for women. Oh, well, there's the G-spot orgasm, which is uh, the G-spot. It was uh, maybe I'll come back on and talk about that, but that's a deep, deep um, type of orgasm with when your G-spot is stimulated. And there's the clitoral orgasm, which is when the clitoris is stimulated and there are so many nerve endings in the clitoris and that is where the some of the most luscious delicious orgasms come from um the clitoris becomes engorged and it becomes turned on and it's capable you're capable of having several orgasms um, having a clit clitoral orgasm um, and then there's the vaginal orgasm, um, which is very different. So how do you know when you're having the different ones? I think a G-spot orgasm has been compared to um, 
you know, seeing, seeing a mirage or, or, you know, having a, an out-of-body experience and you'll know when you have one. So there are different types of orgasms that a woman can achieve. And I think a lot of times this whole idea that when a man and woman comes together, that there should be orgasm from penetration, only about 20% of women, and that's a very low number, have orgasms from penetration because actually the G-spot is not there. The clitoris is not being stimulated. And so I think men understanding that the clitoris needs to be stimulated for a woman to achieve a deep orgasm is, in, is important. And the clitoris may not always be stimulated through penetration. And that's not because the man is doing anything wrong. It may just be um, a body dynamic thing. And so you need to kind of play around with positioning and be more creative. It may be that the way that your bodies come together um, in terms of, you know, the male being bigger or smaller or, you know, the way the bodies come together and fit that the organ, the, the clitoris is not being stimulated. Therefore, um, that, or, that, clit that clitoral stimulation is not happening. And so the orgasm doesn't happen. And so I think when men become aware of what they need to stimulate in order for a woman to achieve an orgasm, um, maybe through penetration or through other methods, then I think there, you know, when couples understand that and work together, um, there's a lot more pleasure coming out of that union. We're almost out of time, Robin. I'd love for you to just wrap up the show with anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with in terms of the overarching connection between sex and sleep. So I, I would say one of the things I'd like to leave you with is, you know, foreplay. Foreplay is, is a beautiful way to connect. Um, and it happened, it, you know, it opens both of you up emotionally, mentally, and physically. And so I think, you know, having that foreplay, um, without perhaps, you know, looking at it as a means to have an orgasm, just having foreplay to engage with each other, to open up emotionally and physically with each other is a beautiful thing. And I think it's, 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 it's a powerful um, element of, of, of then having sex. And it, I think it teaches people how to open up and be truly present. So when you're there having foreplay and you're really present with your partner and you're breathing in sync with your partner and just building up that feeling of arousal and not actually having sex. This can be incredibly powerful. It can be an incredibly powerful turn on. And so doing that over a course of a week and then maybe planning to have sex on Friday after building up this foreplay all week can be incredibly pleasurable and explosive. And these are ways to bring the energy back into the dynamics, um, high energy back into the dynamic for a couple. Beautiful, Robin. And um, I think, I mean, we went through so many aspects of the conversation, anything, everything from consent to how someone would feel inhibited. Uh, and also, of course, how to bring back pleasure into our lives. And um, 
Where can people find you, Robin? Just remind us. And also, I'd love to know whether you also work with men or do you only work with women? No, I do have male clients. Um, I, I advertise mainly to, to women, but I, I do have a lot of male clients who've been recommended to me. Um, and I do love working with men as well as women. Um, so, yes, and they can find me at Robin at robinspens.com. Thank you, Robin, for your time. And I hope you can keep helping people bring back pleasure into their lives. Thank you, Deepa. It's always a pleasure to um, spend time with you and your listeners. I wish you a pleasurable day. This episode, we went deep into several honest and insightful aspects of sexuality and sleep. While the conversation was not specifically about sleep protocols, sexual suppression, moving away from a partner sexually, being unable to have an honest interaction about sex with a partner and lack of connection in the bedroom can all be big reasons for poor sleep. Much of research has explored the link between the release of oxytocin and lowering of cortisol, the stress hormone, from sexual release. Intimacy can be intentionally different for everyone. It need not be sexual pleasure for everyone, but connection can be wonderful for each one of us. Taking a warm bath together with our partner before dinner can be a great way to connect no matter what your age. It fosters better sleep and lowers cortisol and the positivity of connecting can take a simple bath to the next level. Have a great day and sweet dreams. Hi everyone, I hope you enjoyed the show today. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or the professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help on your health journey, do seek out a qualified professional. Please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with a qualified healthcare professional. It is in no way intended as medical advice or a treatment or cure for any condition, be sure to always directly work with a qualified practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding. If you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner, do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com. It is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to especially when it comes to chronic health conditions. Be sure to subscribe to the Sleep Whisperer podcast on your favorite podcast app to get each episode as soon as it launches.